1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we will begin in verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the help and strength of your Spirit. And be with us now, Lord, as we consider these final words from the Apostle Paul to the church of Thessalonica, and how we also, Lord, believe that this is a final word for the church universal, or the church Catholic. We pray that you would give us then listening ears, believing hearts, understanding minds, and Lord, help us, give us feet and hands to obey. I decrease that you may increase in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, again, I greet you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. Welcome you once again. Uh, we come this Lord's Day to the final words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church of Thessalonica. We also come to... Uh, the final sermon in this 16 now part series, Encouragements While We Wait. And these words from the Apostle Paul, they are, they are a prayer, uh, but they are also a prayer of blessing. They could be rightly called a benediction. And that is a, a blessing and a prayer. After all that the Apostle Paul has said, he now leaves the church with this final blessing or prayer. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful, faithful is he who calls you. And he will bring it to pass. What a final word. Uh, what a final blessing. What a final prayer from an overseer to his church. While we, brothers and sisters, here at Reformation Bible Church, while we wait for the blessed return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I simply want to leave this 16-part series with the same kind of blessing and encouragement from the Apostle Paul. While we wait for Christ to return, while we wait for the trumpets to blast and for Christ to break through the clouds, for the dead in Christ to rise and for we who are caught here or still here to be caught up with Him in the air, may the peace of God, the God of peace, sanctify you entirely. May He preserve you. And brothers and sisters, He will do it. Because He is faithful. Faithful is He who has called you. He will do it. This help, this morning, with God's help, we shall consider uh, three points for this concluding sermon. Number one, the God of peace calls you to holiness. 
the God of peace calls you to holiness. First Thessalonians 523. Now, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. The apostle encourages the church with this final blessing that the God of peace would sanctify his people. Uh, Dear saints, as we wait for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let us praise God that He is the God of peace. That the God of peace has made peace with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is good gospel news. We were once alienated from God. We were once at odds with God. We were enemies of God, not friends. And we were his enemy because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our seeking our own glory and not the glory of God. Isaiah 59, 2 tells us your iniquities, your and my iniquities have made a separation between you and God and your sins and my sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear brothers and sisters. God does not hear the unbeliever. Uh, When the unbeliever prays, God's not listening. He only hears the prayers of those who are His. Our sins at one point separated us from God. There was no work that we could work to restore peace between us and God. We were His enemy. His judgment was upon us. We were unable and unwilling Not only could we not come to God, we had no desire to come to God. In order for our hearts to be made right with Him, in order for peace to be had with Him, our hearts were polluted, Uh, our minds were darkened by sin. The Scriptures describe us, me and you, as being dead in sin. The Scriptures describe us, me and you, as being slaves to sin. The scriptures describe us, me and you, as distorting the truth in righteous, in unrighteousness. But thanks be to God. Oh, we should always thank God for those, but thanks be to God statements in the scriptures. But thanks be to God, we were not left in the state of separation that you and I were in. Thanks be to God that we were not left in the judgment that was upon us. For the scriptures declare in Romans 5, 1, that while we were still helpless, while you and I were unable and unwilling, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You and I were the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still rebels. And think about the, the life and the person that you were Prior to coming to Christ, even when you were that person, because of Christ's love, Christ died for you. The Baptist Children's Catechism states concerning the work of Christ and the covenant of grace. Christ undertook to keep the whole law for his people and suffer the punishment due to their sin. The eternal God, the eternal son, very God of very God became incarnate, took on our flesh became the the dust that he created. He did not see equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant 
and being made in the, like, in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Son of God again took on our flesh. The Son of God made himself like the dust that he created. He came under the law that he commanded and he perfectly fulfilled it. What is more, he took the penalty of death. The penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin. Bearing our sin on His holy shoulders once and for all. And the blessed good news is that Christ has been raised from the dead. That He rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. And there is more. If that was not good enough, there is more. Because of the perfect finished work of Christ... If you place your faith in Him alone, then you will be saved and you will have peace with God. The God of peace that Paul speaks about in 1 Thessalonians can be your God. If you turn from your sin and turn to Christ, He can be your God. He will hear your prayer. And this preserving and sanctifying that Paul is talking about is for you. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Dear sojourner. God has lovingly. And mercifully. And graciously offered peace with him. Through his son. Christ. Uh, We who are under. uh, Who under the law. Who are undeserving of any grace. Undeserving of any mercy. Undeserving of any love. We have been offered by God love. We have been offered by God mercy and grace. Through Christ, the eternal Son of God. And how can we accept this grace? What are we to do? Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas said to those who wanted to know how they might be saved, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, believe in Christ and you will be saved. You were not saved by faith, brothers and sisters. Some of your heads picked up. Good. I'm glad you, you caught that, that brief provocative statement. You're not saved by faith. I said in our family worship time together, I have faith that if I turn on the switch, the light will turn on. But that kind of faith won't save me. I have faith that we're going to have dinner tonight. But that kind of faith won't save me. Faith alone will not save you. Christ alone will save you. Faith in Christ will save you. Christ is your peace with God. You want peace with God? You who are enemies of God? Turn to Christ, not to your faith. Place your faith in Christ and you will be saved. Christ is your mediator. Christ is your surety. Faith is only as good as the object that it is trusting in. We trust in Christ. We place our faith in Christ. We place all of our hope, all of our hope, And believe in Christ. And because of this we have faith or we have peace with God. He is our peace with God. Paul prays that the peace of God would sanctify you entirely. Sanctify you. That's that's to be made holy. Paul prays that God, the God of peace. The God that you and I have trusted in. That He would make you and I completely holy. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. One page back. 
Paul says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Brothers and sisters, what is God's will for your life? It is sanctification. It is that you be made holy. God has saved you. Why? Why has God saved you? In order to fix your marriage? No. In order to help your children to be better? No. In order to give you a better job? Not at all. God has saved you to sanctify you. God has saved you to purify you, to make you and I holy. Verse 7 of that same chapter, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. Uh, We have not been given grace so that we can continue in sin. Great. I've said a prayer. Uh, Now I'm saved and now I can go on and do whatever I want to because I have this assurity that I am saved because of a prayer. No. We've not been saved to impurity. We've been saved to sanctification. In Romans, Paul anticipates the question when the doctrine of grace is being put forward. The question is, how shall we live then? Should we continue in sin? And Paul's response is, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism in death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too, listen, might walk in newness of life. If you have been united to Christ, you have been called to walk in newness of life. You have been called to walk in a different manner than the manner that you and I have walked in before. And many wonder in abstract terms. What is the will of God for my life? Have you ever asked that question of yourself or of God? God, what have you created me for? What's the purpose of my life? There was a book many years ago that was all the craze, uh, maybe in the early 2000s or so, The Purpose Driven Life. Many of you still probably have that book. Throw it away. The Purpose Driven Life. What's the purpose for my life? What am I to be? How am I to live? What should I pursue? God himself answers that question for you. Here's the answer to the question. Uh, What's the will of God for my life? In one simple word, holiness. The answer is in one simple word, holiness. God has called you from darkness into his light so that you might be holy. God has called you out of sin to live a holy life. God has saved you. So that you might pursue holiness and walk in newness of life that He's given you. He's made you a new creature. He's given you a new life. Therefore, walk in that new life. Brothers and sisters, this is not a legalistic term either. Oftentimes when we hear holiness, just like when we hear the word Sabbath, we often think in terms of legalism. Oh, That means that that they don't believe that, that a Christian can sin. Of course a Christian will sin. Should we pursue sinning? No. 
They don't believe that, that Christians uh, should uh, sin at all. Well, brothers and sisters, ask yourself, do you believe that you should sin at all? Yeah, do, you, do you believe you have warrant to sin? I'd love for any uh, Bible-believing, Christ-confessing Christian to say, yeah, yeah, I believe I have warrant to sin. Anyone. Any hands. I'm glad none gone up. Your hand might have got shot down by the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we have no warrant to sin. We should be pursuing holiness. God has rescued you in order to restore the image that He has created you in. The image that was marred by sin at the fall. He is uh, restoring His image that you and I have been created in. Making us better than we were in the beginning. What does it mean to be called to holiness? It means that we are to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. Listen, spirit, soul, and body. Walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. The call to holiness is to obey the will of God. It is conforming to the law of God. And God's law is good. His law is found in His Word. It is all of those things that He has called His children to do and to be. We love His law. We put sin to death. We refuse to participate in evil. We walk in a manner worthy of His name. This is His name. This is His name. We, we said in family worship the other day, I said to my family, my son especially, what is your last name? Rognau. You are identified with me. When we call ourselves a Christian, that, that is, follower of Christ, you walk in a, in a manner worthy of the name that you bear. You're a Christian. Sometimes we need to say to our children, as they go to school and as they go to work and as they go out into the world, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember how you've been raised. Remember what you have been taught. Well, we should say the same thing of us who call ourselves Christians. Remember who you are. Remember whose name you bear. Remember the things that He has said to you. Remember His Word. Remember who you are. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-7, Paul tells the church to walk in holiness because Christ, listen to this, because Christ who died will return. This entire series is encouragements while we wait. Wait for what? For the return of Christ. When will it happen? At any time. Imagine what you might be doing or thinking when Christ returns. Do you not want it to be things that are glorifying to His name? He's promised that He will return. If you believe everything else in the Scriptures, if you believe in the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, then you also believe that Christ has said He will return and He will do so. Brothers and sisters, as much as we wish that it were so, we are not automatically transferred from earth to heaven when we confess faith in Christ. As much as we wish that it were so. I believe in Christ. Bam, you're gone. You're in heaven. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? There's a process of waiting. Waiting for the blessed return of Christ. And while we wait, 
There's a certain manner in which we are called to live. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-7, there are metaphors that are being used. Metaphors like darkness and night. Drunkenness as opposed to light and sobriety. When Christ returns, He will return to save His people. His people are children of the day. His people are children of the light. Those who walk in holiness. Those who live in sin. They are children of the night. They are children of darkness. They may not be getting actually drunk. But they are not sober in their thinking. Christ will come and destroy them. And they will by no means escape. Even those who claim the name of Christ and yet who walk in darkness, even though they claim the name of Christ, if they walk in darkness, they are children of the night. Brothers and sisters, which are you? Are you a child of the day or a child of the night? Evidence is found in how you walk. Not just what you say. How you walk. We have been called to holiness. We know that it is God's will for us to live in holiness. Heed this warning. Christ then will destroy all those who walk in darkness. When we say Christ will return. The children of the light. Children of the day. They're not afraid. It thrills them to hear that Christ will return. I don't know if you heard this a few days ago. At night, there was a pealing of thunder in the middle of the night. I'm playing toys with my kids. I had to automatically go outside and, and hey, because I'm anticipating, look out into the sky. I said to my wife, after I closed the door, we all kind of were in awe of the thunder. How amazing is that going to be for the children of God to hear the trumpet sound? Imagine the, the, the peeling and the, the crash of the thunder that you and I heard that night a few nights ago. Imagine that being trumpet sounding. And Christ returning for His people. For us, it will be a great and joyful sound. For the children of the night, they will pray that the rocks of mountains fall upon them. Are you longing for the return of Christ? pray that you are this is the context of Paul's final prayer the question then is will we attain it holiness is what we're called for holiness is the will of God will we achieve it will it happen second point yes because God has covenanted holiness meaning he's promised it it's a part of his covenant God has covenanted holiness 1 Thessalonians 5 23 24 faithful is he Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. Some of you remember the Israelites, when they were enslaved in Egypt, they were tasked with making bricks to build cities and storehouses for the Egyptian lords. And then when Moses appeared and called for the people of God to be set free, Moses was perturbed. And took away the straw that was provided for the Israelites in order for them to make bricks, but did not lessen their workload. 
And the Israelites groaned and wondered, how are we going to be able to keep up the same output without the means to do it? The wonderful good news of Paul's prayer is that God has called us to holiness. Listen, this is work. Holiness is effort. Holiness takes a lot of work for the believer. But the wonderful good news is that God has provided for you all that you need in this work of sanctification. He has called you to holiness and He has covenanted holiness to you. What does this mean? It means that God is not like the Egyptian taskmasters. God is gracious. God is loving. Paul says, May the God who calls you to holiness that you must walk in completely sanctify you and enable you to a holy life. God not only calls you to holiness, but enables you to do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7-8. through 8. Let's read that real quick. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God has given you his spirit. God gives us what we need to obey his command. The one who has called us to holiness gives us the Holy Spirit to help us live in holiness. This is God being gracious. We are not left to ourselves, brothers and sisters. God has not saved us, brought us back to the Garden of Eden and says, Okay, now try again. The Egyptian taskmasters say, Make the bricks and find the straw. We will not help you. God comes to us. And He does not give us a burden that we cannot bear. But He gives us Christ. He gives us His Spirit He tells us that His yoke is easy and that His burden is light. God calls us to holiness and then graciously gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to be holy. God gives the command and provides His Spirit to obey. It's a part of His covenant. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 and 27. God has promised this would be a part of the new covenant. That He would put His law in us. That He would give us His Spirit as aid and help. Think of the covenant promises of God to His people. He promises to give us His Spirit. He promises to write His law on our hearts. And He promises to enable us to obey His Word. You could not do this before when you were dead in sin. His Spirit has enabled you to do this. God promises to help us. And gives us His Spirit as the seal of His promise. He gives us a new nature. It causes us to walk in His law, His statutes, to obey them. The Lord not only justifies, He forgives our sins and remembers them no more. He promises then to sanctify us. How many times has someone sinned against you and you've completely forgotten it? How many times has someone done you wrong and you've completely let it go and never thought about it again? Here is God, who not only forgives your sin, but remembers them no more. And then gives you His Spirit so that you might walk in His ways. He covenants holiness to us. He's able to do this. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. He works within us. 
He enables us. You know this passage, don't you, in Philippians chapter 2. God sanctifies us. God enables us. And God causes us to do the things that He requires of us. This passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Let's turn there. You know this verse. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Here's the part you know. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you left alone? Work it out. This is what God has called you to. The Christian life, the the road of faith. Are you on your own? God says no. Verse 13. For it is God who works, is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is strengthening us as He is sanctifying us. God is working in you. So that when temptation arises, you can say no. We are able to grow in holiness, to cultivate it, and to progress in holiness as we obey. But you must do this. You must obey Him. You have been enabled to obey Him by the power of the Spirit. Uh, We must not think that uh, being sanctified is God putting you inside some kind of boat or a car. He's driving and you're just sitting back and doing nothing. God puts you in the boat, gives you the oars, and says, get to rowing. I'll give you strength to sustain you. But you must row. You must work. You must obey. It's not going to be just, I was in bed on the Lord's day. I was lifted out of my bed. Clothes were all of a sudden put on me. I floated to church. God brought me here. You had to get up, didn't you? When the alarm woke you up this morning, you decided whether or not you were going to answer it or snooze it. You did that. How? By God's help. By God's enabling But you did that. God gives you His Spirit so that you can obey. Is God at work? Could you do it without Him? You could not do it without Him. You and I would be nothing without Him. But He enables you. He empowers you to do this. Some people wrongly think about Calvinists. That it's just all God and none of you. Yes, it is all God who works in you. God is at work in you. You're not a puppet whose strings are being pulled. You are a child of God who's been given His Spirit who is at work in you and you must obey. You know the challenge of of obedience. And the only reason why you do obey is because God is at work in you. But you must obey. Here in Philippians, it's almost the command of production. Make the bricks. But it is God who provides everything that you need for that work. God makes us want to obey and enables us to obey by His Spirit. Who's the one who obeys then? Is it God or is it me? 
It's God working in you. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's God working in you. God is calling you to holiness. So when you say no to sin, who says no? You or God? You do. Because God is at work in you. When you say no to temptation, who said it? God or you? You did. Because God is at work in you. It is because we have been enabled by God to live in holiness that we're able to press on for another day. We are active participators in what God is doing. Again, when God, when we say no to sin, God is the one who is enabling you to do so. He is working in you His goodwill and pleasure. Will you make it to the end? You ever think about that as a believer? As you're walking with Christ, am I going to make it to the end of my life? Walking with Christ? Am I going to get all the way to the heavenly city walking with Christ? Or am I going to divert? There's a passage that you know well. It's found in Jude, verse 24. I wonder if you've heard it before. It reads like this. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God is able to keep you from stumbling. Will I make it to the end? God is able to keep you from stumbling. Uh, Will I fall away from Christ? God is able to keep you from stumbling. Why? Because He who called you is faithful. He will do it. He has covenanted that He will bring you to the very end. The one who works in you will work in you all the way to the very end. All the way to the very end. Will you have battles along the way? Yes, you will. What's their purpose? We just read, their dross is to make you holy. The fire and the dross that is scraped off of that is to make you holy. It's to sanctify you. It is to ready you. It is to prepare you to meet your bridegroom. When you wrestle with things and are confronted with sin, praise be to God. God is teaching you to be holy. He's teaching you to have a Christ-centered outlook on life, not a man-centered outlook on life. Praise God for those moments of difficulty, of challenge, even when you're facing temptation and you are you are a, a, a fighting and wrestling with turning to Christ rather than turning to that sin. Praise God for that. He's teaching you to hate that sin, to turn from that sin, whatever it may be. He's making you holy. Yes, you will have more battles. Are you going to retire undefeated? It's not real. It's not real. But will you have a winning record? Yes, you will. At the end, you, by God's grace, will have one more battles than you lost. And you'll make it all the way to the end. God has promised that He will bring you all the way to the end. He is faithful. He is able to keep you from stumbling. And to keep you from stumbling finally. Praise God for that. Because He is faithful. What a comfort. I pray that that is for your souls. 
God is faithful. He is powerful, yes, and faithful. We need not question whether or not He will keep His promise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 through 13. God will establish our hearts blameless in holiness. Do you want your heart to be established blameless in holiness? God has promised that He will do this. He's gracious to forgive, able to preserve, and faithful to save. Will we make it to complete holiness? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10, through that we've been destined to obtain salvation. Destined to this. Destined to arrive to salvation. To make it all the way. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you will make it all the way. You've been destined to. Paul's prayer then is that on the way to the end, we would be made completely holy so that when Christ appears, we will be ready to receive Him. God established your hearts. It is God's will that you were sanctified, that you not be children of the night, but children of the day. When Christ comes, we can rejoice because we have been destined for that great salvation, not to wrath. And now, he says, now may the peace of God, the God of peace Himself sanctify you and bring this work that He has begun to completion. If He's begun it in you, He will bring it to completion. It may seem slow. It may seem like the work that's being worked in you is not as good or as, as rapid or as great as the one next to you. That's the work that God's doing in them, not you. You're you. That's them. It's encouraging to see others, to want to be holier like others. But God is working on you. Christ will return to save. To bring to consummation the salvation that He has won for us. And He will preserve us for that great moment. Why will He do this? Because He is faithful. Because the one who has called you is faithful. Hold fast to that promise. As bleak and as dark and as difficult as life does get at times. Hold fast to the promise God is faithful. He will bring me to the very end. He will preserve you. Which brings us to our final point. The completion of holiness. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely and your spirit and your soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses this emphatic language with regard to completion, entirety. In his prayer, he prays for complete sanctification. Complete. He prays for our soul, spirit, and body. That all of it be kept blameless. And he is emphasizing that God himself will preserve all that we are. All that we are in every way until the very end. Spirit and soul refer to the to man's mental and emotional life. Think about that for a moment. We have to remember that the things that we think and the things that we feel, they also contain sin. 
it's not just the body that sins. We don't just do sinful things. We have sinful thoughts. And we have sinful feelings. Paul is praying that not only would our body be sanctified, but that our minds would be sanctified. And that our affections would be sanctified and made holy. Paul is praying that the thoughts and affections and actions, all that we are, would be pure. So that when Christ returns, he will greet a child of the day, one of his sheep. Brothers and sisters, pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. Am I praying that God would purify my thought life? Am I praying that God would purify my thought life? That the things that I meditate on would bring Him glory? What are you thinking now? What were you thinking before I said that our thoughts contain sins as well? I pray that you and I would only entertain thoughts that are pure and right and true. What about your feelings? Our feelings also contain sins. How many times have you said, this is the way I feel? And it was a sinful feeling. It was one that was wrong. It was one that was unjust Those emotions and affections that arise, I feel, I wonder, is it a feeling of holiness or one that should be put to death? One might say, well, I can't control what I think and I can't control what I feel. Not so. You've been enabled by the Spirit of God to control what you think and to control what you feel. How many times have you felt or thought something and you just didn't do it? I'll tell you, being being very honest and not trying to be joyful or not trying to be funny. I can't tell you how many times I've been into a bank and thought, okay, camera there, camera there, camera there. I could pull this off. And then walked out thinking, what am I thinking? Why would I, why would, where would a thought like that even come from? I'm not the only one. What a thought that needs to be brought down. We can control. The reason why we don't act upon those thoughts, especially as believers, is because we have been enabled by the Spirit to bring down those thoughts. To say to those thoughts, that is not of God. That is not... I hope that I'm not the only one in this place who's thought something like that. So you have a really depraved pastor. That was years ago, I should say. Many, many years ago. You've been freed. You've been given a new mind. You have the mind of Christ now. You've been given a new nature. You are a new creation. You have now the ability to have right emotions, right feelings, right thoughts. You can think on godly things, lovely lovely things, true things, admirable things. How do I know that? Because the scriptures say, Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, Is there any, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think about those things. 
Think about those things, Philippians 4.8. Think about those things. We all know that there is much in our day, much in our week, that could cloud our minds and stir our emotions towards sinful things. But the command is not, hey, whatever is stressful, whatever is hurtful, whatever makes you angry or whatever makes you sad, whatever annoys you, whatever is financial, whatever is sensual, whatever is selfish, whatever is unlovely, think about those things. That's not the command. Then why do we so often do those things rather than what God is calling us to think about? Oh, we have much more sanctification yet to go, don't we? Sojourners, pilgrims you are. We give our minds and emotions far too much to the things of this world that we are passing through. We give our minds and emotions far too much to this world that we are passing through. We are headed to Zion, aren't we? We are heading to the heavenly city of God, aren't we? Then think on the heavenly things that are before you. One former... uh, one I should just... Say, uh, one person, Joel Osteen has said it before too, so he's in good company. Some people are so uh, heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. It's an old saying, but only dumb people say it. The opposite is true. You are no earthly good if you are not heavenly minded. Oh, think of the lovely. Even now, what's lovely in your life? Think of the pure. What's pure? Think of those things that are right, right now. Those things that are true. Those things that are commendable and excellent. If you took a moment right now and begin to think about those things, ask yourself, why don't I think about that more often? Think of the loveliness of Christ. Think of how Christ is making you lovely. Think of the purity of His Word. That it is without error that He is making you pure now. Think of the fact that Christ is purifying His church and that you are a part of that church. You are a part of His body. Think of how it is true that you were once in darkness and now you are in the light. Think of how we commend Christ and His work and that we commend one another to Christ. Think of how excellent the preaching of God's Word is. Think of how it is good to pray for my unbelieving family members and for the nations. There's so many good things to think about. Brothers and sisters, that's not even beginning to touch our affections. When was the last time you considered the amazing grace of God to the point that it stirred your emotions? God has saved me? What's the last time you thought about that? What's the last time that you felt joy? Because God is just good. When have you felt glad that you're not in a false teaching church, but in a good church? When have you looked at your brother and sister 
and genuinely been happy, felt emotion, felt happy that they're here. Not just your favorites, but looking at the ones who you will be looking at for eternity and saying, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Not just your favorite when they, when they walk in, hey, I'm glad you're here. That you, the brethren, the sister, that you are here. We can go on. But Paul's prayer is that our body, our mind, our emotions, that all of that be pure. And completely pure. We must dedicate ourselves to Christ then in this work. At the coming of Christ, when He returns, the sanctification of the living and the dead, His living and His dead, it will be complete and instant. Your, your mind will be sanctified. Your affections will be sanctified. Your bodies will be sanctified. And we are heading in that holy, perfect direction. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51-57, that what he is speaking is a mystery. That is, it's going beyond even that which he is saying. But that we will all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. As, as quickly as you can bat your eye, you will be made wholly perfect. When will the trumpet sound? When Christ returns, many of you are going to probably ask that when we get to the book of Revelation in a few weeks or so. So, so when's the timetable? When you hear the trumpet sounding, what should I do till then? Be ready. Be, be ready. In this passage, Paul is concerned with the resurrection of the body. We will be changed, transformed at the last trumpet in a twinkling of an eye. We, the people of God, we can expect that when He returns, sanctification will be done. We will be made holy. Changed from mortal to immortal. Spirit, soul, and body. All that you are when Christ returns. Those who are dead, the souls that are with Christ now, their bodies will be raised. And their bodies will be completely sanctified. They will be transformed. We who are here, we will be caught up with Him. Completely sanctified. Worry about yourself then. The dead, you can't worry about them. You need to worry about you. We, the people of God then, as Paul says, we will not be taken by surprise. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, we will not be taken by surprise. We know. We know. We don't need anyone to teach us. We know that when Christ comes, we will welcome Him. We won't cry for the rocks to fall on us. We won't hide from His coming. We will rejoice at His coming. Christ will completely sanctify you. Do you long for that day? I find that, that sometimes it's only the older people. Those who have lived their lives. Okay, I'm ready to go. What about you 20s and 30-somethings? Those of you who are still having kids, who are still working, trying to figure out what kind of job you're going to have. Maybe some of you single people. I never had a child. I never, I never got to be married. If Christ came, would you be unsatisfied? 
Are you longing for the day? Are you anticipating His return? When I'm waiting for my wife to come home, there is a, I am far more anticipatory than I'm, when I'm waiting for the pizza man to come. I love my wife more than pizza. Hope you do too, men. Do you long with a, a holy longing, with a holy anxiety, if I can say it that way, for the return of your bridegroom? No marriage on this earth will be better than the marriage supper of the Lamb. No relationship on this earth will be better than those that we have in the heavenly kingdom of God. No sight, I never got to see Paris, no sight will be greater than the Eiffel Tower or any other view in this land. They will all pale. They are all but a a hue, a shadow of what awaits us in the glory of the kingdom of God. Do you long for your complete sanctification? God is faithful and He will do it. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, but I don't want to keep taking this dress rehearsal. It's a blessing. It's a means of grace. But I can't wait to see Him face to face. We say with John, the revelator, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And until that time, we have everything that we need. So let us not despair. Maybe throughout this sermon, we might have acknowledged, I have been deep in sin. I am actually afraid of the return of Christ. I'm not looking forward to it like I should. But dear one, Christ offers forgiveness. Christ offers forgiveness to all of those who plead for mercy. So then don't despair. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ. Be baptized. Join a church. Obey His word. Live for Christ alone. Put sin to death. He will give you His Spirit to help you. And if Christ delays, it's called patience. And patience is gracious. Because He is not willing that any of us, any of those who are His, should perish. So, dear ones, don't despair. Heed the warning. It's not just for the wicked, it's for the saints. Show ourselves to be the people of God. Walk in the light. Be faithful to Him. He will preserve you. Don't believe the lie that you cannot be forgiven. Grace is greater than all of our sin. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. And you also have His church. We are here. We are here to be accountable to one another. To admonish one another. To help one another. To be patient with one another. So praise God. For His grace. For His power. For His faithfulness. When we arrive at the end and stand around the Lamb, we will not glory in ourselves. We will glory in Him alone. We will not boast in our own strength, but we will boast in Christ who has given us strength. While we wait for the blessed return of Christ, 
walk in a manner that is worthy of his name. He has given you a spirit to do so. Let's pray.